you can holler, you can applaud, you can scream, you can do anything you want. I can't hear you anyway. <laughs> Tyler Bingham, and you're listening to the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. On today's show, you have cinematographer David McFarland. Uh, 12 Mighty Orphans is a film where you can see his work. He was the DP on that. Um, recently played at Tribeca, and then it had a uh, pre- pretty wide release on June 18th. So, um, very fascinating chat. I love talking to DPs, um, and David's definitely no exception. That was, it was a blast chatting with him about his career, about the film. Um, and different things like that. So let's jump right into it and talk to David McFarland on the Salt Lake Dirt Podcast. Well, Mighty Orphans, uh, we're talking to David McFarland here, who is the director of photography. Um, it was at Tri- it's at Tribeca, and then it comes out uh, to a wide audience, I believe June 11th is the release date I have here. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, it's um. Thank you for having me. It's been. I mean, it was a really wonderful project to be a part of, uh, and it's found a really great home with Sony Picture Classics, which I know everyone was very, very excited about. Um, and you know, to have it premiere at Tribeca is just it's a really great thing. I've actually never had a film play at Tribeca. I've, I've had films, luckily, at a lot of really great festivals around the world. I've been to Tribeca um, as you know, as just a spectator. So I'm really excited to um, to have this this film kind of get launched there. I think it's really cool. And we we color graded the film in New York with a colorist I always work with here. And um, okay. so in some respects, there are some kind of uh, New York roots to this movie. Oh, cool! Yeah. So I was um, I, I was able to watch it last week, and um, I love I love getting a film. Um, a press copy of it. And I don't like to watch the trailer. Typically, I just want to like jump right in and and kind of be surprised at what um, I'm getting at. So it was, I mean, it was beautifully shot. That's what you know. I gotta I gotta make that comment first off because um, being a period piece too, it takes place uh, during the Great Depression, mm-hmm. and um, it just was like the visuals were so strong. It was such a like a, a you know beautiful beautiful film and um i have a background in still photography so i'm always kind of like um when i watch a film and it has those points like a like a well shot film has those points where you know there's a strong still photography presence to it um i don't know if that makes any sense but that was what i was getting from from your work here and it made me definitely more interested to to see more of your stuff um but yeah, I mean, and I was looking through your filmography and it's like, you, you've been working pretty consistently for a while now. So it was like, I could, I was like, oh my God, I, I can't even touch on a couple of these. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to put a link to your incredible filmography um, for the audience to see, but maybe we could just start um, before we chat a little more about the film. I'm kind of curious about your background um, in, in coming into uh, working in film and, um, and photography as a whole. Yeah, well, um, I uh, I went to film school. I went to undergrad um, film school at Boston University, and um, w- and that's where I was introduced to cinematography. Um, I kind of it was very very fortunate that I just fell in into um, in into this medium really quickly. Uh, 
I ended up registering for classes very late and changed my major from philosophy to film. Um, and in doing so, most of the classes were already booked up, but to stay on track, they said I could, uh, I could take journalism classes. So the first semester of my film school, I basically studied photojournalism, um, which was something that really, I, I feel was very, very lucky on my end because it immediately got me introduced to image making and something that I became really passionate about very quickly. While I was studying at undergrad um, at film, I was also studying anthropology. And um, I've, I just found a way to sort of kind of scratch both the itches of being an image maker and, um, and serving my interest in culture and the world. So I, I've, had, I've had a pretty interesting career in that I've shot a lot of foreign films. I mean, I am from the United States. Right. Um, but I, but I've had, I've, I've taken a lot of chances with my career, some good and some bad, but, um, but I've, I've worked all over the world. Um, I shot a movie in Afghanistan in 2009 and that got a lot of attention. Um, and yeah, you know, American cinematographer magazine was really nice to write about that. And that, that kind of got the ball rolling for me in terms of, um, getting into the conversation of, of being more of an international cinematographer. Um, and so I, I've been really lucky. I, I've, had, I've been able to really explore a lot of different subjects that I'm really, really passionate about around the world. Um, I shot a Palestinian film in 2017 called uh, Screwdriver, which premiered at Venice Film Festival. Uh, bef right before that, I shot a Tibetan language film um, in India, uh, which premiered at Toronto that same year. Wow. Um, and I've been I've been able to really follow my interests um, and and learn about subjects that I'm I'm very compelled by um, in in through my career, which is kind of strangely how I became involved with Twelve Mighty Orphans. Um, this film has a um, has a few different themes, um, and it's a really compelling story. It's a very it's a true story about right, um, right. this coach Rusty Russell who was a World War I veteran um, who saw some really unimaginable things. He saw his brother get killed and that really haunted him. And he, years later, he you know, was a very successful football coach um, in Temple, Texas in the mid thirties and um, ended up kind of dropping it all and going, to, uh, going moving out uh, to, to, uh, to teach math at an orphanage um, in in Texas, and in doing this, he kind of he 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 ends up dealing with his post traumatic stress, um, which he you know which, which is the result of his experience in uh, in World War One, um, and that was something that's a big theme in the film is uh, overcoming PTSD or at least dealing with it. I don't even say overcoming it, but just dealing with it. Um, and that's a subject that was very much um, the center of the film Screwdriver I did in, in the West Bank in Palestine. It's about a prisoner who gets out and returns to his refugee camp in Ramallah. And um, it's about him dealing with his 15 years in jail. Uh, Ty Roberts, the director, saw that film because uh, my colorist or our colorist, Damien Venterkrusen, um, who's a genius, uh, he colored Ty's last film, The Iron Orchard, which is just a wonderfully shot film. And it's a beautiful, beautiful film. 
Um, and so Damien was able to kind of introduce Ty to my work through the, that film, uh, Screwdriver, that we worked on, which has a very similar theme, very different, different, different periods, different look, everything, but similar theme. So I think that's kind of how I got involved. Oh, that's incredible. So, I mean, yeah, when I was looking over your filmography, I was, I mean, uh, I was like, where, <laughs> where is this guy from exactly? Or where, where are his roots? I was trying to make sense of it, but it, it just seemed like um, you've been fortunate enough from the sounds of it that you've been able to um, work on projects, you know, more or less that you've been, you know, you've been fortunate enough to be passionate about, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I feel really lucky. I've, um, I've, I mean, I've worked really hard to kind of get established as a cinematographer in the beginning of my career. And, um, I was, I've been able to really follow my passion, um, uh, my passions, just both, both from a lighting and framing and camera perspective and just the act of making the film to, to really getting to spend time with groups of people that have a very different set of, um, it's just a very different life than I do. Um, getting to spend time in the Tibetan diaspora community in India uh, while, you know, helping tell a very compelling story about what it's like to live in exile and to trek through the Himalayas. It's something that I'm, I'm really proud of that I got to do it. And um, I've taken a lot of financial risks to do these projects, but it's never been, it's, it's, it's always been something that I've been happy, a choice I've been happy I've made. That's great. Um... So uh, where where did where was Twelve Mighty Orphans shot? And I'm just curious um, when when it was shot. Like how did how did a uh, COVID impact it at all? You know, was it was it impacted it at all by it, or was it was this done well before? Well, it um it was shot in Weatherford, Texas, which is about 30 miles. I might be getting that wrong. Maybe a little more. 30 miles west of um of Fort Worth, uh, and it um. The, the producer, Houston Hill, and Ty Roberts, the producer-director, are from Texas. Um, and this is a Texas story. So I think, you know, long before I came to be involved, they um, they knew they were going to shoot it in Texas. So they, they really wanted to. Um, and by the time I got involved, what they had landed on filming in Weatherford. It had enough period buildings and it was close enough to Fort Worth and also an international airport. Mm -hmm. um, so it made a lot of sense to work there. Um, I, I, I actually grew up in Dallas, Texas. Oh, wow. um, when, and that kind of has nothing to do with my involvement on 12 Mighty Orphans. It, just <laughs> was very, it was just very lucky for me because I got to be, for a few months, I got to be very close to my family and they got to come to, to set a few times and kind of actually finally see what I do. Um, but uh you know, to answer your other part of this question is, you know, we we finished principal photography at the end of 2019. So very lucky. We mm -hmm. I I prepped. I was there from the end of August to right around Thanksgiving when we when we wrapped. Um, we had so in some respects we're very lucky that we didn't get shut down by COVID. It was right before it. You know, the world kind of got turned upside down. The way we did get affected, though, is we owed um, we owed scenes, some flashback scenes from Rusty Russell's experience mm -hmm. in World War One. So we had kind of been preparing to to come back and regroup um, and and pick those scenes up 
and unfortunately we weren't able to do that um but uh ty the director was really really um really smart and he kind of accumulated a bunch of um a bunch of footage from other from a few other short films which is pretty cool i mean now that these young filmmakers who made these tiny movies um kind of have a little bit of their work and a major, a major oh, that is, that's great movies. yeah um they might not like the way i color graded it but, <laughs> but, you know, um, I, it looked great it was great <laughs> yeah we um I mean, Damien and I did put our own stamp on it, but um, so that was the way we were affected by COVID. So um, it, uh, it worked out really well, to be honest. I mean, I was pretty heartbroken that we didn't get to do the World War One um, sequences the way we would have liked to have, um, and and they probably there probably would have been more in the film if we had shot them ourselves. But that's just the way it worked, um, and so and I'm really pleased with the way everything turned out. Yeah, no, I mean, it definitely, it, it had, and this is a compliment, it had a different feel, some of those flashback scenes, and I couldn't quite put my my finger on it, but they were, it, it just seemed very unique to me. So it, it is kind of cool how sometimes like a challenge like that can, can you know, you may not get it exactly the way you wanted it, but it does create something unique and beautiful in its own right. It certainly evokes the emotion we were trying, we were going for and so on that on that level, it's I think it's a really it was a really smart workaround and it was successful. I feel like it, it you know, those sequences served the film really well. And um, I feel like and so, you know, it's it could have been a lot worse. You know, we could have, you know, not shot any of that, I guess, or not had any of that footage in the movie. And that would have been that would have been to the, the film's detriment. So the way it worked out, it was, you know, the best we could do, given the state of the world at, at the time. Right. Um, but um, yeah, but but I mean, I, I really feel for so many projects that were trying to get going in the beginning of COVID and especially all those all those films that were about to premiere at big festivals, you know, South by Southwest getting canceled or, you know, or at least um, not going down in person. And um, right. and, you know, can I just I feel really I feel really bad for those filmmakers who you know, it was their, it was their first time to have yeah. their film seen by a big audience and they were, they were kind of stripped of that. So mm-hmm. that, that is something that, you know, that did not happen to me, but I mean, as someone who's made a career off of playing festivals, that's really sad. So. Yeah. I talked to a lot of filmmakers uh, um, over the past, you know, year or so who, and you know, Sundance, Slamdance, um, and a few other smaller ones. And, and there was, you just felt really bad for them. There was that palpable, like they were, they were super appreciative that they had gotten in, of course, um, yeah. but they were just disappointed. And so like, every time I would talk to one of them, it'd be like, well, it's so cool. You have so many more people because these like, like slam dance, for example, had a, it was like a $10 pass and you could, you could stream all the films for two full weeks. So slam dance is the coolest. I love it, that. They're the best. Yeah. So we talked a lot about that, like how many more people, you know, it sucks that we can't all be together, but like a lot of people from all over the world got to see these films where they uh, may yeah, not. Yeah, I mean, there's, great. there's definitely an upside to these things. I mean, and, and I think that there probably there will probably be some lasting um, trends from COVID in terms of the way film festivals work. And mm-hmm. I think now, hopefully, these films will be further reaching because of that. Yeah, but, you know, film festivals are a magical time and place because for freelance artists like 
DPs or directors or editors or anyone who's, you know, there supporting a film, that's just a, a place where you really, you know, you really form allegiances with people that you end up working with in the future. I mean, that's mm -hmm. how a lot of my work is, has come about is by, I have a film playing at Sundance and the, you know, the, the film that's playing opposite us, we all start to run around together because we have a bunch of screenings and then it just, and things build very quickly from there. So that, so to have it, have a film festival turn to just online only yeah. kind of stripped of that a little bit. Totally, but, yeah. but look, I mean, hopefully this is just that one weird year and hopefully now, yeah. we're back. you know, it'll be interesting to be at Tribeca and see how it feels. I mean, New York feels really good right now. Um, oh, and good, it feels good. very open and feel, I think the back, the vaccination rates are really high. And so I think that's that great. it's going to be a very in-person experience, but that's I haven't a, seen a movie. I mean, seeing that movie in the theater will be the first movie I've seen in a theater since everything shut down. Yeah. I can't, I don't even remember the last one. I mean, I, I can't, I can't pinpoint what I saw last in a theater. I can't either. I remember the <laughs> last, I remember the last band I saw, but I can't remember the last film. <laughs> But yeah. Um, yeah. What was the last band you saw? I saw a band called Zigzags in uh in LA. Uh -huh. They were okay. um, a really great uh kind of psych rock punk band. And That's it was it was it was crazy because it was I remember it was March 13th, and I was actually shooting a job in LA the next day. I was shooting a Dior ad. And um I remember I remember going and at first going to the show at first, I was like, am I going out on a school line? Am I being bad <laughs> right now? Should I be, I have an early call time. Should I not go see this band? And then, then I was like, wait, I shouldn't be worrying about that. I should be worried about the pandemic. <laughs> I remember, wait, like but the band that played before them was, uh, was just like ripping it. And they had this, I was standing right behind the drummer who had this like massive drum set. And I was just marley. He was his drum set was like bigger than the room they were playing. <laughs> And, um, but he was just like sweating profusely and I'm standing behind him. This is, this is probably a really bad idea. <laughs> I was like, that's why I saw, I saw zigzags and then I just took off and went home and then I went to set the next day. And that was, that was the last day I went to set without wearing a mask. Yeah. Oh, man. No, it was so weird. My birthday was March 15th. So it was just kind of like oh. an all the last year of my thirties, I turned 39 that March. Yeah. And it was just like, it, it was yeah, a, March, man. You know, you can't trust it. No, you can't. <laughs> I mean, you were born on a weird day. So I, mean, I yeah, I know I'm a, I'm a high school history teacher by day. And so <laughs> we, we talk about, we make fun of that all the time. So that, I mean, they definitely remember that day and you know, it's a right it's the last time <laughs> for them. Um, that's cool. Oh, so I did, I did just hear So slam or Sundance just announced recently. They are doing, they're doing in-person and online yeah um, coming up so that's that'll be cool if they if they can somehow take the good from what happened with all this and i feel help like, compliment. You know, I, I i see that i think that could be a really positive takeaway from this and especially for a, for a, a festival like sundance which is so uh recognizable just in its mm -hmm. name alone i think people there's such a prestige just to the name that oh, i think totally, that it could yeah. really it could really get a lot of eyeballs um in the online world just because of you know, just because of what it is, it's an amazing organization. It's a great festival, and so they could they could maybe really lead the charge with, you know, helping a lot of smaller films that don't have deals get um get seen, and that's fantastic. That's great. Yeah, um, I did want to I want to ask um, just if 
like, so say someone like a young kid, high school, I, you know, I, I deal with high schoolers. So someone who has an interest in, um, you know, the film business, there's not one straight path typically to get to where, to where you get. And that's, what's both so cool about it, but so scary about it for someone who may yeah, not know how to approach it. Yeah. yeah. So like, what would you tell like a, like 17, 18, 19 year old kid that had like a strong, um, like passion for this and this is something that they wanted to explore um what would you say to them as far as like getting to where they you know at least get some opportunities going for them you mean just in filmmaking in general or to be a cinematographer specifically cinematography yeah i i i feel like i i give a lot of advice to aspiring dps um a lot and, and quite quite often and and i do that because i've asked for a lot of advice from you know, my peers or people that are way further down the road than I am. And I, and I still do. Um, I still like lean on, on, you know, much more successful and more recognizable cinematographers than myself. So I, you know, I, I feel like I always come back to a few of the same sentiments that I try and tell people who are embarking on a career in cinematography, because it is a bit daunting and there are a few different avenues you can go down historically um, the working your way up through the camera department was the way. And that, that seems to be the most obvious. Okay, cinematography is about cameras. So you go work in the camera department and you work your way up and you become a DP and live happily ever after. <laughs> that wasn't the way it worked for me. And that is not always the best path for everyone. I mean, there are certainly a lot of great DPs out there that came, came through the, the camera department ranks and graduated into being the DP. And that's great. I started off, um, well, I won't even get into my experience, but the, my, um, my, my, my biggest advice is it's, you really need to learn this craft and you need to position yourself in a, in a way where you have a good vantage point. And for me, I started loading film mags and camera PAing, and then I was a second, I pulled focus a little bit. And those were good experiences, but for me personally, I felt like I was so looking at the camera only that I wasn't learning lighting. Um, and lighting is a much bigger thing for a cinematographer than knowing how to pull focus. Mm -hmm. um, so I switched my direction pretty early on and jumped over to the electric department so I could be in the lighting world. But so that's, that's my first piece of advice to aspiring cinematographers is to just try and, try and really get a vantage point to understand not only the cinematography side of, of production, but understand production. Starting as a PA is a great thing. Um, you know, learning, learning the interworkings of a set, learning how, who, who's, who does what and in what order is huge. And that's going to serve you so well as, someone who will ultimately be like a big leader on a set. I mean, a cinematographer is, is really commanding a lot, a lot of people on the set mm -hmm. um, and working very closely with an AD. And I think to do that, uh, to do that really successfully, I think you need to really have an under a, an understanding of what everyone's job is and what the expectations are. And also it's great to have a respect. I spent a lot of time, a respect for the crew. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I spent a lot of time in the art department. The, fir the first feature I ever worked on, I was, a, I was an art PA and it was an amazing experience. I remember that. I remember those days so vividly. Um, and 
it's it's something that I, I feel like has served me really well because I have so much respect for all the departments, but I have a I have a legion to the art department, and that that shows. And and I I, lo- I love those guys, and they're and visually I depend on them. So I think getting understanding that you're building a foundation that's gonna that's gonna last you your entire career is really important, and and in doing so, finding a vantage point that you can be a sponge and learn a lot from. And then finally, I would say, really, you need to be shooting. If you're gonna be a cinematographer, you need to be shooting in some respect. Um, you need to be shooting stills. You need to be shooting you know, short films with your friends. You just need to be start, you need to start to really kind of build that, that photographic muscle and, and that framing muscle and, the, and going through the motions again and again. Um, because that, that's something, that's something that you, you'll, you'll always refer back to is your, your, your framing sense. Um, and your, I don't know, your, your ability to communicate with people. And so it's at this stage, I mean, when, when I was coming up really only people, people were only really shooting film and that's great because film is a beautiful format, but it was a bit uh, unfortunately it's really expensive to shoot. So I wasn't able to go out and just like burn a bunch of 35 all the time. I mean, I did it here and there. Um, and I built a reel out of short ends, you know, that I was stealing off commercials, but, um, but, uh, I would say, you know, I, I really encourage people to be, you know, go out and take a bunch of stills, just shoot stills all the time. Cause that's, that's a huge part of, of image making and, and cinematography is just framing. Um, and I, I, th- I also tell aspiring cinematographers that it's, it's important to work on your craft as a cinematographer, that's part of it. But I think it's also important to be, to be honing in your tastes. I think spending a lot of time in museums or traveling or gaining experiences around the world and meeting different kinds of people those are all things that serve you really well as a cinematographer, because at the end of the day, we're, we're basically hired, I believe, to be sort of a, something that channels, that we, we get channeled through to, let me, let me think of a better way to say this. I think that as a cinematographer, we're kind of hired for our taste, and for our, uh, for our experience on the planet. Um, so much of what I do is trying to find the, the human emotion that we're trying to evoke. And I think I refer back to experiences that have nothing to do with cinematography whatsoever to mm-hmm. do that. I mean, it just naturally happens. I don't even make a point to do it, but you, know, you, you start to see how the other half lives. You see how people who live in refugee camps live and what they're dealing with. And it makes you a much more um it makes you someone who's i don't know just got a a a larger depth of emotion there so i think that um that's that's advice i give to people is just to really try and expand expand themselves just as humans and then see how it applies to cinematography i love no i love that that's such a that's that's really that's really good advice um i talk to a lot of writers um novelists on this podcast and and um I talked to one recently and he said almost the exact same thing where it's like part, part of writing is, 
experiencing life. You can't just sit in your basement all day and write. You're going to like eventually it's, it's going to dry up. So you need to be experiencing things, meeting different kinds of people, going different places, eating different kinds of food, you know, just experiencing life. And it, and it does translate into um, your creative work. So that's, yeah, that's, that's incredible advice. I love it. Oh yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's just, it's, um, I think, I think inherently every decision, you know, you make as a, as an artist is, is, is a, is kind of funneled through your experiences. Um, and I, for me, I'm, I'm most interested in making films that are compelling. I'm I'm most interested in, in the further I get in my career, the, the projects I gravitate gravitate towards the most are ones where people are overcoming something. Mm-hmm. And in this case, in 12 Mighty Orphans case, you have someone that's overcoming his experiences in a really brutal war. He's overcoming his experiences as an orphan himself and someone who's searching for an identity. And that all plays out on a football field, which is a great analogy. Mm -hmm. And so there's something really compelling about this story and shooting, shooting the sweet Requiem, the Tibetan language film I did. I, that's a very compelling story about some, a little girl who treks through the Himalayas at the age eight and you know, endure some insane hardships that uh, me as an American, I've never had to deal with. Uh, But going and shooting that film and spending time in that world really made me a a lot more sensitive to um, the plight of the Tibetans, A, but also just it really reinforces the the realization that how good I have it. Mm-hmm. as an American and, sure. and the, the, the world I just opened my eyes into when I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, if, while, while, while my, while my work might seem all over the place, um, if you, I think, you know, upon further investigation, if you look kind of closely, more closely at my body of work, mainly in the last like five or seven years, the, the, the kind of, the, the theme that goes through it is, is about compelling It's about, you know, compelling stories about people really overcoming extreme hardship. So um, they might have different looks and different feels, uh, but that's because you know, it's all about the subliminal language that you create to try and evoke these emotions and back up this, this story. But yeah, it's, for me, it's, it's really about, about trying to find um, something that's going to be, uh, a bit universal. And this story in 12 Mighty Orphans is like, is a pretty universal story. Oh yeah. It a, yeah. I, I definitely, I mean, I, I felt to mention too, that, I mean, the, the film, it's, it's, you know, it's beautiful. Um, just a, just a great film, but like the, the cast is incredible. I mean, you have some pretty heavy hitters in this. So we have like Luke Wilson, Martin Sheen, uh, Robert Duvall. So um, especially with the, the older gentlemen, these guys are, you know, film icons. Yeah, uh, that must have been an incredible experience to work with with those with with the cast. Um, of course, uh, yeah. I um, I mean, some of the first one of the first films that really caught my eye, and I'm not that unique in this, 
but is Apocalypse Now mm-hmm. and, and oh, yeah. you know, the work of Vittorio Storaro in Apocalypse Now and also with all the Bartolucci films. Um, the, that really, really made a huge impact on me in, in film school. And as I was just really jumping into what this art form is, that was Apocalypse Now was one of those films that I just like went back to mm-hmm. again and, and still do. So to work, to get to work with Martin Sheen and Robert Duvall sharing the screen together. Um, and I believe that was the same, the f- first time they've shared the screen since they did Apocalypse Now. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, um, I mean, that's the word, that was the word on the street. Um, that was, that was amazing. I mean, that was like hugely gratifying for me. That was amazing. Everyone on the set just knew that they were, we were, they were just doing something so iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then to work with Luke Wilson um, was really spectacular because Luke is someone who's had obviously like a really great career and, and, and is maintaining that and it's just doing great work. But I, I will say that this is a different kind of film for him. Oh, for sure. This is a film sure. that he really is. Um, it's it's not a comedic role, mm-hmm. and he's he's a very comedic guy and very comedic actor. He's got great timing, but that's not what this is. Um, he he kind of transformed himself into this character, and he really brought it. And this is I knew you could just feel that this was very important to him, and he took a lot of time trying to get it right. Um, I. I had a great time working with all those actors and, and was really, you know, I feel really lucky when I get to, you know, be the one to photograph these, these performances. Yeah. Yeah. Such a great film. I mean, and I think like, you know, not to sound cheesy, but it is like, I think it can, it's it's a great family film. Um, And it's solid. Like, I like, this is something I will, I will definitely rewatch with my parents when it comes out, you know, and it'll be nice to have that experience with them. It's, um, it's going to be interesting to see how it's received because this is, at least for me, this is one of the more widely accessible stories I've shot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, that, yeah, it is, it is definitely a, a very family film, uh, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, that's not what I've always done. And, and my style photographically tends to be a bit more contrasty, a bit darker, like you know, it's very moody and, um, so I, I think inherently I, my name comes up when directors have those kind of images and that kind of lighting in mind. So to be able to do something that is a, that is a bit of a family-oriented film and, and I think is, is a, a very widely accessible story, but also get to, I didn't have to change the way I do things. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to light, I, I wasn't trying to light things in a more accessible, less less uh moody way i just did what i do to try and back up the story so i i felt really i felt really good about that yeah definitely complimented it it all worked like it it came together you know amazingly so yeah great film like like i've been saying over and over um definitely check it out everyone um maybe we could talk um we could um touch briefly i'm always curious about like influences that that artists had or or even people that you may have you're you're been exposed to more recently to some um, cinematographers um, over the years that you've really kind of like studied their work or uh, been very impressed with what they do. And you're like, Oh, I wish I would, I wish I had shot that, you know, Um, just people that you've, you know, you're, you respect and you've looked up to over the years. Yeah. I mean, there's the list goes on and on. (laughs) 
I am. Um, I mean, I draw a lot of influence from cinematographers, but I, I, a lot of still photographers out there and a lot of music and, you know, I, I, I have a, a wide range of places that I, I draw inspiration from. Um, the cinematographers that I draw a lot of, um, a lot of influence from, or I take a lot of influence from is, are, you know, again, Vittorio Storaro is, is a, is just the maestro and he's just somebody who has made such a huge impact on me. And if you're not familiar with his work, um, he shot Apocalypse Now. He shot, he shot quite a few um, Bertolucci films. He's Italian. He shot the, he came onto the scene in, I think, 1967 or 68 with uh, Conformist, which is okay, just yeah. such an amazingly yeah. beautiful film. Um, and just the way it was lit and photographed is just, it's breathtaking and it's, it's stunning. Um, I did the sheltering sky, which was, uh, the, which was the follow-up to the last emperor, which he won an Academy award for um, the sheltering sky is John Malkovich and Deborah Winger in a period. It's a Paul Bowles book. Um, I think they made it in 90, 89, 90, 91. Uh, it's a period film in set in Morocco. Um, so he's been a big, he's been a really big influence on me. He's, he's just really known for his, his extreme color theory and just use of really bold, bold colors and really very strong compositions. Um, he, uh, so he's, he's a big one. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, Sławomir Idziak, who is a Polish cinematographer, most widely known for his collaboration with uh, Krzysztof Kieslowski the Polish and sort of French um, director. Uh, he also shot Black Hawk Down, which is like a random. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you look at the the thing that I took from, that I've taken from Slava Miradziak is um, if you look at his early films, like the Decalogue, which is the Kirstop Kieslowski's 10 part series in Polish television in the early eighties, you look at a film like that and the choices he made because a lack of resources mm. and the way he lit and, and how he can control contrast, mainly through filtration. Um, you look at those films and then you put it next to a big, huge Ridley Scott movie like Black Hawk Down. And there's a, a real, um, the, the, the films look the same, mm-hmm. even though one you know had no resources and the other had every resource. And I think that I, I recognize that early on as I was kind of getting into his work. Um, and that's something that I recognize as something that, that I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure that no matter the size or scope of the project, I was able to, uh, that, that I, I've always wanted to really, um, you know, follow, follow my interests photographically and, and, and not just go with, technology and, and more and bigger just because you can. So he's been a big influence on me photographically and just on, on just his sort of ideology. Um, on you know, 12 Many Orphans, because this is a period film, you know, we inherently looked at a lot of period films. Um, and we looked at a lot of archival footage from back, you know, back in the Dust Bowl. So we, we ended up looking at a lot of Diane Arbus uh, photography. Mm-hmm. And um, we, that, you know, those, those were huge influences to us 
We, I, I really love the work um, Darius Kanji has been doing with James Gray on films like The Immigrant and The Lost World of Zed. Yeah, yeah. The, Lost City, the Lost City of Zed. Right, right. Um, and um, I, the, that, that was something that we talked a lot about uh, in the color grade because D- uh, Damien Bender Cruz and our colorist works, works with, with Darius Kanji a lot. Um, and I, um, I, there were, there's sort of a texture that they, these guys that James Gray and Darius Kanji create, which is something I wasn't trying to take any color or any specific lighting or anything like that from, from, um, from those films. But the, the texture is sort of the thing that we, we really leaned into. Um, we shot this film digitally um, mm-hmm. and they usually work film. Uh, we, we started to shoot film on this project and I, and I love doing it, but uh, mainly because of the football sequences required so many cameras and we were shooting anamorphic that it just made more sense to shoot uh, digitally. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy with that. I, we, shot, we shot the, the RA Alexa mini uh, with anamorphic and we shot open gate and it, I'm, I love that format. So I'll be happy to get back to film when, when that's right. But, um, but I, but we, we kind of thought long and hard about this and we, you know, we had the option to shoot film, but we, we decided not to. So uh, maybe I'll, maybe I'll wrap up with this question. I am. So I, how, how common is it to shoot on film these days? I didn't, I think that's incredible that, I mean, I love both formats. I mean, I think um, like I, when I did still photography that I went to school and it was, we we were right. We're talking like 99, 2000, 2001. And um, digital was just kind of coming out, but we couldn't shoot it because it wasn't, the quality wasn't good enough. That was accessible to us. So I think I was the last little group of uh, a cohort of students. I got to actually like learn in a physical dark room, which was, you yeah. know, incredible. I, I'm That's so huge. happy I had that experience. It's huge. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that a lot of stuff was being still shot on film. That's, that's awesome. Um, just kind of maybe speak to that. Say, a bit. Yeah. I will say this. I mean, film is not dead, nor, nor will it die. Um, mm-hmm. I think, um, I think we can kind of rest assured in that. Um, I, I think, you know, a lot of films are, a lot of movies are shot on film um, and some TV show Westworld was filmed. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, to be honest, I mean, in my experience, if the director, it, the director has to want to shoot film. It really like someone's got a, someone at the helm, like the director has to really be passionate about it and, and uh, put, you know, his or her foot down and say, no, this is going to be an expense that we are going to, we, you know, we are going to, we're, we're going to commit to this. Um, I shot a, I shot a Western called the ballad of lefty Brown mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Uh, and we shot 35 on that. And that was the director, Jared Moshe is just a film person. He's a, he shoots a lot. He does a lot of Westerns and he just feels like that's the format to shoot on. And that's what we did. And it was amazing. Um, so I, um, I think film is here to stay. Uh, and, you know, you're seeing labs open back up. Photochem is doing great. And it's, unfortunately, there's not as many film stocks as there used to be. Kodak mm-hmm. isn't just making a million different vision stocks, but there are great stocks out there. 
Um, so we just need Ari to start making cameras again. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, which we'll see if that happens or not. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great though, because I mean, the, I think that I, I've kind of, I haven't really followed, followed this, um, as far as the, t the technology end of it. So I, w I, you know, I'd always lament that, you know, I, I think digital is great and I think it's, you know, it can be just as beautiful and it, it's a, it's a different tool, you know, to tell a story and to, um, just, some, just something else you could add on to your rep repertoire. But I, you know, film is just such a, you know, incredible experience. I have a, like a few prints that I have in my classroom, just like old junk film that we had, um, laying around. I found in the, like at the, the basement of the school and the kids are just blown away. Just looking at this like reel of, something they can hold and touch you know what i mean yeah. um yeah, yeah, so the that's incredible. aspect of it is is no joke and and you kind of used a word just a moment ago which i think is a really good one in this conversation and it's you know film is an experience both when you make it when you when you capture a story on celluloid there in my experience recently the big difference is on set people know you're shooting film and there's sort of a regality about the project because of that. Mm. Um, I noticed it on, on um, the Ballad of Lucky Brown. I, it's funny within the first few days of that movie of the, that production, and we had really a really great cast on that Bill Pullman, Peter Fonda, Jim Caviezel, Tommy Flanagan. I mean, a really great, um, a really great cast. Every one of them within two days of filming acknowledge the fact that we were shooting film to me and that they were really excited that they, they didn't even know that that was happening until they showed up in Montana oh, wow. and you could hear film going through mags and I, and you could, you could see them get excited and you could see them realize that, okay, this is, I think that was like a, that was a small movie tier one or tier two is a small movie. Um, and you could see them all of a sudden say like, Oh, I'm doing something special here. And, and, <laughs> and also, yeah. And also because of because we're shooting film, I, I saw I saw something I don't see very often was I saw like production assistants reading the script at lunch. <laughs> it was like, oh cool. Like everyone's getting really excited about this. Um, so yeah, there's there's something really am amazing about it. And then you know, the the going to a theater and having the image on screen be a light, mm -hmm. you know, coming from a light passing through. Um, a print is a pretty magical experience. Yeah. And you don't, I mean, that's what, one thing I love, I love Tarantino's theater down in, in Los Angeles where, the yeah, the new yeah, I mean, that's, it's so great. Cause I mean, here where I live, that's not, you know, I don't have that experience anymore. And that was one thing I would always love to yeah. look back, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. So it's good that it's still, it's there. See it dancing. You can kind of see it dancing through the room. It's really, oh, yeah, totally. It's a really tangible thing and it makes it such a, a pretty magical experience. And I, I hope that will never go away. Um, I think it's, you know, it's going to really be about art house theaters, you know, keeping that alive. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. yeah. Great. Well, David, thank you so much for taking the time. This was a very enjoyable conversation. Um, yeah. 12 uh, Mighty Orphans, everyone check it out June 11th. Um, it'll be in theaters. Um, that Tribeca. So, so when I, I missed, I kind of dropped the ball here. Tribeca has not happened yet. Or no, no, it's happening in June. Usually okay, they, they pushed it. It's usually, I want to say it's usually in April. That's what I thought. Okay. It's so. early. It's in the spring. It's a spring festival. And because of 
you know, the festival world getting so shaken up. It's, uh, I don't know when they decided, but they pushed it to June. So we screen, the movie premieres at Tribeca on the 14th of June. Okay. Um, And then I think it goes into wide release on the 18th. Excellent. So yeah, this summer, everyone, you have a chance to, to see an incredible film and, and, um, you know, bring your whole family. It's definitely, um, one of those, it's a beautiful film. So yeah, David, thank you so much. This was, this was great. And I hope to stay in touch and talk to you about your future projects. Please. That would be great. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye.